Welcome to Carry the Light. I'm your host, Carrie Alexander. During your time here, we'll explore all things positive to brighten up your day and light up the world around you. We'll talk to regular folks about doing extraordinary things, hear fantastic stories, get a little creative in the world of happiness, and learn how you can change the world. Now sit back and relax. Let's carry the light. Is your life where you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4 14. As the giving season wraps up, today on Carry the Light, we're talking about the most precious gift of all, the gift of life. Sadly, in the last few weeks, a dear woman close to our family died from a diseased liver. Another cousin of mine perished while waiting for an organ, and sadly, this story is more common than you may think. Over 100,000 people are currently waiting for an organ donor. 17 of those will die each day. Kathy Anderson knows both sides of organ donation. The young mother had just given birth to twins when her heart began to fail. We'll hear her miraculous story next on Carry the Light. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, you have an incredible story. I can't imagine this moment in time for you because you had just given birth to your twins and then all of a sudden tragedy strikes. So tell us what happened. Well, like you said, I was pregnant with twins. I was young. I was 20 years old, just newly married. And I started having premature labor with the twins. So my doctor put me on a medication to help stop the, the labor process. And I took it for 63 days, and every day my heart would just race, and they're like, oh, that's normal, that's, you know, it's just something you need to do. And um, I delivered both of my children, and immediately after that, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't uh, walk down the hall to see them, because that's when the baby stayed in the nursery. I felt like I had the flu, like really bad, but I couldn't breathe with it. They immediately started doing some tests, and they realized that my heart function was at 5%. Wow. Which went down really quick. I did go home with my babies for about a week, not feeling well, obviously, waiting to see what all the test results were going to show. Went back into the hospital in the middle of one night, and just when you're too weak to even swallow air, there's something seriously wrong. So... They immediately took me and put me on a mechanical heart. Uh, it's called a ventricular assist device to keep me alive until they found a donor heart. And they found a donor heart uh, within 24 hours. Wow. And um, yeah, and that was that was 33 years ago. And I think about 33 years, just, I can't even believe I'm saying it's been 33 years. But 33 years ago, we had the United Network of Sharing, which of heart of organs and there's so many organs there's so many people waiting for organs that we we now are kind of in a little area we are staying in the kentucky west virginia tennessee area for organs and um i was very fortunate that they found an organ so quick and um yeah where did your i mean uh, well one i can't even imagine 24 hours you find out you're on this mechanical heart i mean were you conscious when you had this did you know that you, you know, needed a heart you're so weak and you're so 
just pretty much out of it when your heart's not functioning very well or, or almost nothing. Yeah. But all I knew was that I was going to go to surgery and surgery went to me that I was going to sleep because I was so, you're so weak and you can't even swallow, you know, water. So I didn't really understand what it meant. A mechanical heart didn't understand that at all. A transplant, Lord, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. All I knew is that they were going to help me and I was going to get to sleep. So I left, I was wheeled down uh, the hall and I remember my family just all, you know, around me and, and crying. And, and I'm like, you guys, this is a good thing. I'm you know, I'm going to get better. So, so yes, it was, uh, I look at it now and it's such an emotional experience, but at that moment it was just like, hurry up and get me in there. Right. You're just in the moment, what you're feeling. Plus I, I bet it would be hard to just process the gravity of the situation. So within 24 hours, you received a heart, which is just uh, miraculous in itself. I mean, I know a cousin of mine, you know, waited for over a year and she never got the organ that she needed. Do you know the story of the donor? Have you ever met the donor family? Do you know where it came from? I do. I do know that it came from Florida. I, it was a 23 year old male. They don't give you the information on the family for, you know, for Mm -hmm. security for uh, privacy reasons. But I, I wrote a letter to the family and sent it through Kentucky organ donor affiliates. They have the information to the family and then they sent it to the family. I never heard from them and that's okay. I wonder, I know that they have to thank April, every April the uh, 17th. That's when I had my transplant on his death, the mm -hmm. day of his death. You know, I wonder if they think, Oh, is his, is his organ still living is his heart still beating and but i've never i've never heard from him and um I, i've considered trying to write again mm -hmm. but you know i don't i don't know i don't know i don't want to open up any any wounds yeah i can't also imagine for them for you which you briefly touched on the the psychological i can imagine the physical healing that has to happen but the right. psychological knowing you have someone else's organ in you how has that been trying to wrap your head around is you just in, eternally grateful is it how do you walk yourself through that well majority of people that are waiting for organs have time to process that they go through a lot of psychological training through your the hospitals mine was so quick i didn't have time to even process that so i processed it the same time i was raising twins two babies mm -hmm. and you know and every time i would look at them is when it would hit me you know this person is the reason i'm here today that i get to raise my kids so the mental part it it happened quickly i, I didn't have a whole lot of time to process it but you know what i think i process it every day yeah i, I would definitely think in 33 years also how does it impact your life as in I mean, you were so young when this all happened. So you just wonder, like, your outlook on life, does it change after something like that? And, and it absolutely does. I mean, you definitely appreciate your everything in life a lot more. I mean, you know, I was, like I said, I was 20 years old and I've watched my friends and people over, over the years. And even as we get older, you know, complaining about such minor things. And I'm like, listen, we've only got one life and, just try to enjoy each day and appreciate what you got. And I totally appreciate everything that I've got in my life. And 
you know, someone gave up their son's organ, their heart for me to live. So you better take good care of it. It's my, my way of thinking. That is true. That is very true. What do you have to do? Do you, do you have to take a medication every day so that your body doesn't reject it? Or um, That's correct. I take medications to keep it. Even though it's been in me for 33 years, my body still won't see it as mine. So I take uh, medications to um, an anti-rejection medication. And I've been on a very small amount of medications for the past several years, for 33 years. I've had a few issues over the years, but honestly, I feel like I've lived just as normal a life as anybody has. Well, speaking of, I mean, it's really interesting for you because you have been on both sides of the organ donation process. So you've been a recipient, but then just a decade ago, uh, you lost your brother. Uh, Can you tell us what happened there and and how did you decide you were going to donate and and what was that like? Wow. So my brother was the first one that spoke up when I needed my transplant, he would be willing to give his own heart to save me. He was such a remarkable man and he was killed in a car wreck 10 years ago. And I remember he was, you know, we went at middle of the night to the hospital and we're tired and you're emotionally drained. And I'm sitting outside his waiting room or his, uh, his room in a hallway in a chair. I think I was pretty much by myself at that point. Uh, the rest of the family was in the room and this lady, she knelt down beside me and um, she put her hand on my knee and she said, have you all thought about donating his organs? And I immediately just looked at her like, she must know that I've had a transplant because why would she be asking me? Like his wife's in there, his kids are in there. And uh, I said, Oh, you know, you're going to have to talk to his family, but his, his wife and his kids, because I'm just the sister. And, and I went to my sister-in-law at the time and I said, Darla, I said, you know, don't make a decision based on me. You know, I want the family to make this decision, not just because I've had a heart transplant, even though we all knew what Kevin wanted because Kevin signed his driver's license. He, he was an, you know, an advocate for organ donation, but I, I still wanted to be kind of left out of the equation. So, so automatically it was a yes, yes, you know, we're going to donate whatever they can. And they were able to donate several of his organs, the heart and the lungs were damaged too much from the, um, from the wreck. But, um, we do know that a lady got his uh, kidney and um, there was a lady, another lady that got his liver, but we do know that. We don't know who they are, but we know that uh, those two were donated. And, and what is, I mean, I think I was surprised to know that, you know, I have signed the back of my driver's license a long time ago, but I didn't know that's not all you have to do to really, truly to make sure that your organs are donated. Uh, the family has a lot of influence as well. So what kind of process do people need to do to donate their organs? And what is it like for you as a family to, you know, in that moment, because you're, you have this little bit of hope that they're going to pull through and then you realize that they're not going to survive and it's the letting go. I mean, how do you get yourself to that moment since you've lived on both sides of it? There's two parts to that, I guess. Getting to that moment was we knew that's what Kevin, that we knew that's what he would want. He would want his organs to go on and, and help someone. He was just a generous human being. But 
they didn't go and look for my brother's driver's license when at the hospital. I mean, I'm sure his license probably, there's no telling, we never even found them. Mm -hmm. So the licenses are important, but just letting the family know your decision, you know, talk to your family, let them know they ultimately have the last decision and um, they're not going to go, where's his license? They're going to go, where's his family? And we need to ask the family. So it's just super important for the family to know what your wishes are. I was surprised. I was looking in preparation for our talk today that one person can save eight lives. And that's incredible to think about. Ultimately 50, um, this, the skin, the tissue Mm. can save and heal uh, 50 lives just from one donor. Wow. Yeah. And you know, that's, I think for some people, they have like this fear, this, you know, which some would say it was an irrational fear that if you're an organ donor and they know it, they're not going to work as hard to save you. What, I mean, what is your response when you hear that from people? Oh, I've heard it from so many over the years, but you know, when you're in a situation like my brother was in, in the emergency room, they weren't trying to figure out if he was an organ donor. They were just trying to save his life. They did everything they could possibly. And he was brain dead. There was there, then they would go back and check again to make sure he was, he was brain dead. And we were able to watch that process if we wanted to, to, to know that, you know, there was no coming back. People, people have a lot of misconception that, um, that they will, they won't work as hard to save them if they're an organ donor and that they're going to take them and they're not really dead. Well, that just can't happen. That, that's just not possible to happen. You know, obviously have to be, it's hard to look at my brother and know that we're getting ready to give his organs when he's laying there and you see his chest raising up and down, mm-hmm. but it was only raising up and down because of a machine, not because of him doing that. Mm-hmm. Cause you have to keep people, you know, it looks like they're alive state in order to donate the organs. So, well, and, and so this is a conversation that we all need to have with our loved ones, obviously before a tragedy arise, uh, you know, arises, but within the hospital itself, I know you work closely with organizations, you know, that work with, you know, organ donation education and, and what's involved. Is there like anyone in the hospital when you're in that, like you, you talk about the lady who came up to you and, and, and said, have you considered donating his organs? I mean, are nurses, doctors, do they have that conversation with you guys? Is there an advocate within the hospital or is it just something that you need to know? Well, there's a couple different answers to that. So years ago, we were able to um, get it into the curriculum for uh, med students to learn about organ donation. We did that with the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky, and I'm sure it's all, I'm sure it's all over the United States. And then nurses are definitely um, being educated on that as well through the, well, I know Jewish hospital does, um, through their, through their um, training. Mm-hmm. But um, then when there is someone that is brain dead that could potentially be an organ donor, they have, in Kentucky, we have what's called Kentucky Organ Donor Affiliates. They would call the Kentucky organ donor affiliates and say, you know, we've got someone here that is potential organ donor. You need to come and talk to the family. And that's how, that's how the family gets approached is from someone that's extremely trained in that position. Yeah. Because I can't imagine being in that situation 
and I hope that I never am, but having to make that decision, but knowing that, you know, uh, the gift of life was given to someone else that you couldn't control anymore, your own life or the, 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 that one of, you know, someone that you love, but yeah, I, I did not realize that. And it makes perfectly perfect good sense. It's, um, yeah, when they're at the scene of an accident or you suddenly become ill, like the lady I know just recently, they're not looking for your driver's license. They're not looking through the paperwork. They're not looking, they're turning to the spouse or the kids or the closest you know, family member. And those people are probably in so much shock and pain and processing too, that it is important to have that conversation ahead of time. So I if, think it would take some of the... Um, I want to say anger out of it because if you haven't ever talked about organ donation and someone comes and talks to you about it, I feel like there might be some anger. Like mm-hmm. how dare you ask for, you know, for someone else to live through him. But, but yeah, so that's just, that's just the most important thing that anyone can do is, is to discuss that and let your family members know. Well, as we enter into 2021, which hopefully is a year of hope, after what we have just come through, that might be something that everyone wants to do early this year with their loved ones is sit down and have a conversation about what your wishes are. And it's an uncomfortable conversation and nobody likes to think or talk about end of life situations at all, but we all will get there eventually, hopefully later rather than sooner. But, and also I think it helps take the burden off of your loved ones as well when they know right. specifically like you knew what your brother would want and so you oh, had absolutely. comfort in that yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely but you know if it wasn't for my transplant we probably wouldn't have had the conversation yeah so yeah you're right it wouldn't have been top of mind you would have been dealing mm-hmm. with the process of your brother there's, there's also a website too and it's called the american transplant foundation.org and that's got a lot of any concerns anyone has, that has all the information you'll need about uh, becoming an organ donor. That's perfect. Thank you for sharing that with us today. And Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, I, I love to hear that you were able to sustain life for others. And, and I love to hear the generosity of a family has allowed you to have a full life and to raise your twins and to see them grow far past what you ever thought you probably would. Um, And I've got five grandbabies now. (laughs) Every milestone is just like, I can't believe it. You know? Yeah. And and what a great story for us as we start a new year of just remembering. And, you know, over the past year, we see how fragile life is. And uh, we see so many people that have been suffering this past year, but knowing 2021 and moving forward that, you know, the gift of spirit of giving of love and thinking of others well, it's given you a whole new life. So that's right. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your story and your information. And such an important topic that we really don't ever really talk about until you're faced with that situation. So thank you for shedding some light on that today. Thank you, Carrie. All right. We'll be right back after this. can get a little frustrated when it comes to New Year's resolutions. So many of them fall by the wayside as the months tick by. So why make them at all? 
we've got a few tips for you on how to make this year successful. And we are getting the advice straight from the smart people, the folks at Harvard Medical School. Here's their seven tips for making your resolutions stick. Number one, dream big. Whether running a marathon, writing a book, or losing weight, it's compelling just to go after something grandiose. Number two, break down your big dreams into small steps. Do the easy stuff first. It will help build your confidence. Like, you know, simple things like finding a trainer, picking out a workout, run a mile instead of a marathon, outline your book. Just start with something small. Number three, understand why you can't make the changes you want. Why do you fall back into old routines or bad habits? Do you need more time management, accountability, organization, or just a visual reminder of your goal? Maybe just challenge yourself to run three times a week. Then when you accomplish that, go after four, and so on. Speaking of that, make a commitment. Commit to yourself. Schedule time in your day for your goal. Post your your dreams online and have your friends check in on your progress. Number five, give yourself a reward. Set smaller goals along the way like we talked about before. And when you achieve them, give yourself a high five. Like, hey, I outlined the book. Oh, I wrote chapter one. Still got a long way to go. But look, I did achieve that. Number six, learn from the past. If working out an hour a day never fits in, break it into two 30-minute segments, or get up earlier. Whatever it is, identify your problem and then figure out a way to solve it. Number seven, give thanks for what you do do. Forget about perfection. Set your goal on finishing the marathon, not running it in record time. And don't beat yourself up. Appreciate what you did do and pick yourself up and go at it again. Whatever your goal, you can get there. Remember, the journey of a 1,000 miles happens one step at a time. But don't just stare at your feet or how much further you have to go. Remember to look around and enjoy your journey along the way. That's where the real magic happens. And on that note, it's now time for our moment of light. about the amazing people you have in your life. We all know that one person who inspires you. Maybe it's that teacher who goes the extra mile to lift up a student, the Wonder Woman who is involved in everything at school but still organizes disaster relief trips, raises money to help those in need, or travels to another country bringing supplies to those poorest in the world. It could just be the selfless person who is always there for those around him, or coaches a sport, volunteers at a food bank, or fosters children. These people light up the world. They make impact. They are positive change. They are illuminating. In honor of those, I've created the Illuminator Award. I want to celebrate those people and continue to carry their light. So please go on to carrythelight.com and nominate your special person. I will donate $1,000 to the charity of their choice and tell their story here on Carry the Light. Who knows? Maybe their actions will ignite another person's passion that continues to brighten our days. The deadline for entry is January 31st. I look forward to meeting the people that influence you 
have a blessed day and remember to carry the light. For more information on how you can carry the light, follow us on Instagram at carrythelight underscore now or check out our website, carrythelight.com. I'd love to hear from you.